We are here this morning, every single one of us, at least in part, because of the hope of redemption. The hope of redemption. We're all hoping and praying that the hard things that we've experienced this last week or the hard things that we've experienced throughout our life is somehow going to make some kind of sense. That there's going to be some kind of meaning that is going to emerge out of the monotonies of our life. That somehow the math is going to work Right? Who we are, for better or for worse. What we've experienced, what has happened to us. All of our mistakes. That all of this somehow is going to add up in God's goodness and wisdom and, and love to something good. We know that, right? We know that Scripture says all things. God is working all things together for good. So we know that conceptually. But we're here to be helped to be able to see it. We want to see that redemption. We want to somehow be on the inside of it rather than just on the outside of it. And this is what Isaiah 44 is all about. This is God's objective. His objective in what he's doing. His objective for us to join him in. Isaiah 44 is all about God's redemption that he wants to do for his people and about the major obstacle that Israel at this time is experiencing to being on the inside of that redemption and enjoying that redemption. And then the third movement is going to be what God is calling his people to do so that they get out of their uh, discouragement with the hope of redemption, their lack of hope in God's redemption, and they move move into what God wants them to do. Look with me just briefly how Isaiah 44 is framed by God's invitation to redemption and God wanting to be known as the Redeemer. Verses 3 and 4 is a a kind of an image of redemption, an image of something that was dry and dead, being not just restored but being fruitful. We see this here. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Psalm 1 image, anyone? They'll they'll spring up like willows beside flowing streams. This one will say, I'm the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. He's saying that someday God is going to do something where all of your dryness and all of your bitterness and all of, all of the things that were hard are going to produce generations of people who love the Lord. And so in verse 6, God says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, Israel's Redeemer. He says, I want to be known as the one who redeems. We see the same emphasis at the end of Isaiah 44. Look with me at verse 24. Again, God wants to be known as the Redeemer. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. And we see those same images of redemption in the previous verse. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing. You see how how all-encompassing the joy is going to be at God's redemption? The heavens, the depths, the mountains sing, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. And one more verse above that, verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God wants to redeem his people. He wants to be known as the Redeemer. And he wants to invite his people to be on the inside of that. To experience that kind of joy at seeing God stitch their lives together for something glorious. Now, what is redemption? This is a kind of a church word, right? But, but it's also, it appears in the world. 
Right? Where do we talk about redemption? We talk about redemption when you've hit really hard times and you have something of value and you take it to a pawn shop and you give it to them in exchange for some money and you hope to what? You hope to redeem it. Right? You, hope to, you, you keep your ticket so you can redeem that thing. And that's, that's the basic idea here in Scripture as well. Something that was precious. Something that was owned and precious. We see this, we're going to see this in a minute through the language that surrounds redemption in Isaiah 44 of God forming his people. Like, you're, you're mine, you're precious to me. But then they get, it gets lost, it gets stolen, it wanders off. And so God redeems it, he repurchases it. It's already his, but he's got to pay this price to bring it back. But now, in what condition is it? Right, through, through, through being stolen, lost, it's, it's been misused, it's been mistreated, it's broken, it's, it's shabby. So it's not just a buying it back, it's a buying it back and restoring it, restoring it, bringing it back into the service of God and fitting it to be used by Him. We see redemption in Isaiah 44 surrounded by other words that reflect this. Look with me at, uh, here at the end. Let's look at verse 24 again. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. Verse 21, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you're my servant. I formed you, you're my servant. You're going to see this forming and to be my servant. And we see this again at the beginning of Isaiah 44. Verses 1 and 2. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. God formed his people for a purpose. But now they've got themselves in a position where they need to hear uh, in verse 2, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. They're in a place that's fearful. And at the end of Isaiah 44, God's promising them, I'm going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to restore Jude. I'm going to bring you back. But that's not where they are right now. He formed them for himself, but they're not there. They're broken. They're lost. They're stolen. But God is promising them, I'm going to bring you back to a place where you can serve me again. So what has God formed in the life of Israel? What has God formed in our life? He's formed everything. And what does God want to use for His glory in our lives? He wants to use everything. He wants to use everything. Redemption is this thing that God is doing, right? He's doing it, but He's also inviting His people into it. He's inviting them to come and to see the way... how the way that He's formed their life is so beautiful. Do you see your life as beautiful? Not just you, not just what you see in the mirror, but when you look back on your calendars, when you look back on your diaries, when you look back on the story of your life, I don't think many of us see it as beautiful. So the only way we're going to see it, though, is to put our lives into His hands. The only way we're going to see God's beautiful redemption story is if we're willing to be His servants. And that's what redemption is. Redemption is putting our story into God's service. Putting our stories into God's service. To live our lives not as people who are struggling, not as people who are broken, but as people whose lives have been formed by God and we let Him use our whole life.
This is a hard thing. What has God formed in your life and mine? I don't know if you're like me, but, but I tend to think of my life in kind of two categories, right? And I see, the, I see the hand of God. This is the language we use. I see the hand of God in the good things, the, the blessings that I started life out with, or the benefits that I've seen, the successes I've had, uh, acts of mercy or grace that have entered my life. But then I've got this other category of stuff that, that I just don't associate with God. Now, I mean, I'm a preacher and I know the Bible, so if you pushed me on it, I'd say, okay, God had a hand in that too. But I don't function that way. Right? We don't function that way. We say, God is in my life in these things. This is how he's for my life. But these other things, I don't like these things. I don't, I, I don't see God in my failures. I don't see God in the mistakes. I don't see God in the pain. And yet, what is redemption about? Redemption is about those things. That's what redemption's about. The good things are just good. Redemption is about bringing the bad things in. The hard things in. What God wants to invite us into, this beautiful thing, right, is God not being involved in some of the things in our lives, but, but seeing God involved in all of the things. Not presenting our curated self to God. Present your curated self to Facebook. That's fine. Present your all to God. That's what he wants. He wants our all. Adele's got this great line in uh, Rolling in the Deep where she sings, throw your soul through every open door. This is what God's inviting us into Isaiah, in Isaiah 44. This, the door to redemption is, is wide open. Throw yourself into it. Don't hold anything back. God wants us complete. Think about this for just a second. We'll probably cut, touch back on this in a minute, but God wants us complete. He wants the uncurated you. God is the most accepting person. It's not how most people think of God. Most people think of God as somebody that they need to curate themselves for. They need to select things. You know, would you lead us in prayer? Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, thou great God, we pray thou, you know, and you just change everything about ourselves because, of course, God can't handle the truth. That's not, that's not the truth presented here in Scripture. God wants to be our Redeemer he wants us all. And the result of this then will be in our lives that all of the, the things that we feel empty about and dead about and shameful about and we feel are foolish about us, they're all going to be turned into moments of celebration. When, when God brings us into this redemption, when we, when we see it and we put ourselves in his hands, the, the stars are going to sing. The depths are going to cry out. The mountains and the trees are going to clap their hands and dance. It's going to be this, this great celebration because, as we've all experienced, when we, when we bring some of our shame and pain and put it in the Lord's hands, we let him use it, what we always experience is, a, is some kind of extraordinary connection with other people. We feel that connection. We feel that celebration and that joy because then here's the experience that, that we really want. We want to serve the God. We want to serve the God. We want to be on the inside of all that is being worked for good. All is being worked for good. We want to be on the inside of that. Not working against that or trying to do our own thing. But there's a temptation, which is why Isaiah 44 exists. This isn't just about the great good news of the hope of redemption. This is about how the, the people of God are starting to doubt the hope of redemption. How they're reluctant to turn their lives over to God. 
So the temptation, this is where redemption stalls. This is why we don't see what God is doing, why we don't see what God wants to be doing in our lives. And it's because we conform to the formed gods. We conform to the formed gods. So let's read verses 9 to 20 all together. I'll read it. You just follow along. But let's read this again. This is really, obviously, this uh, extraordinary section in this chapter. A lot of the rest of it is kind of like, you know, probably you, you regular churchgoers are sort of like, uh, redemption, God, our Savior, Lord of hosts. And it's like, okay, it's all like church Bible stuff. But this is a really exceptional couple of paragraphs. So let's read through this and then think about it. Verse 9, All who fashion idols are nothing. The things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that's profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers, works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, his strength fails, he drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line, he marks it out with a pencil, he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it, warms himself, kindles a fire, bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over half he eats meat. He roasts and is satisfied. He warms himself. He says, ha ha, I'm warm. I've seen fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He says to it and says, deliver me for you're my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burn in the fire, I bake bread on its coals, I roast meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? So he feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? We conform ourselves to the formed gods. You know, the two big things I want you to see in this section, visualize, right, this God being formed. Now, what have we already seen is the emphasis about our God, that he's the one who forms our lives. This God is being formed. He's being sawn and hammered and painted and made into a little statuette. And then the person is conforming himself to this. He just made this little statuary, put it on a, a shelf, and bows down. We conform ourselves to these formed gods. So let's just start with the, the first part of this. We conform. Conformity is the opposite of redemption. Redemption is bringing our whole life to God to turn into something beautiful. Conformity is us picking and choosing parts of our lives and saying, know me by this. This is a great temptation because we all want to be presentable. Right? We... 
We, we want to have a self that is conformed to the agreed-upon values. We, we want to fit in, right? What everybody values, we want to select that part of us and bring it forward so that people value us. It's pretty standard. We don't want to be our broken selves. We don't want to be our, our whole story. We don't want to be who all we are. And so what we do is we look for the gods. We look for the cultures, uh, the values of the culture, the ways they answer the big questions, what they see as uh, who we are and where we're going. We, we look for those, those values and we fall down to them. We just want to fit in. Israel is in the middle of this kind of experience. There they are. They're in, in Babylon now. They're in exile. They're no longer in Israel. They're no longer in Judah. And I'll tell you what, Israel's tired of being Israel. You know, you go to, you, you go to a party, you introduce yourself. Hey, are you an Israelite? What's everybody going to talk about? Right? Did God really bring you guys out of Egypt? Did he really destroy like Pharaoh and, and all that army and stuff? Wow, that's so cool. What happened to you guys? Right? Is it kind of just better to not talk about that? They're the people that got to see all this great stuff that God did. They're also the people that you couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. Like you didn't even tr- did you try? It's not that hard. It's ten things. Did you try? Have you seen our laws? You couldn't do those. <sighs> yeah, no. Yeah, I mean it's harder than it looks, right? I mean, like they're uncomfortable with this, and so they don't want to be this anymore. They're, they've lost the hope of redemption. They don't want to bring their whole selves to God. They're tired of this. They just want to fit in. They don't want to own their story, which is why throughout this chapter, throughout all the prophets, there's all these reminders. I formed you. You're my people. You're my people. Because they don't, they, don't, they don't want to hear that anymore. But if we just go to fit in, if we just conform ourselves, if we curate our lives in order to fit in, right? it's not us. It's not actually us. It's the likable me, the me I'd like to be. That's who it is, which is not true. And since that's it, it, there's no hope of redemption with that, right? Conforming, trying to fit in with the world prevents redemption. Because the stuff that's most exceptional and extraordinary and sticks out in our lives are the things that God wants to use. The things that we're most ashamed of are the things that he's going to make most beautiful. Do you feel sometimes like some of your, only some of your story is allowable? Right, we see this all the time in the world right now. Right? Every, everybody's got to kind of just line up behind different hashtags and social media memes. And as soon as you depart, as soon as something is excavated from your life and story that, that points to some sort of brokenness, canceled, not with God, though. We've got to get this into our heads. This is the place where you're all welcome completely. And the world is the place where you'll be canceled as soon as you depart from the acceptable norms and values. This is the place where you're welcome. So we are tempted to conform. And we are tempted to conform to the formed gods. To conform... Is, do I have a slide for this? We're tempted to conform to the formed gods. 
So again, notice the, the great emphasis here. On either side of our, of our central chunk of this passage, God is saying, I'm the one who formed you. I formed you. I formed you. And here we've got this slow depiction of, of the craftsman forming the idol. There's no hope of redemption in a formed God. There's two things. There's, there's a lot that we could excavate in, in verses 9 to 20. It's a really an extraordinary sort of sat, satire and, and take down of the sort of uh, God industrial complex of Babylon and the nations. But there's two things that are really important to, to see. The first is that the world's gods are made. They're made. Right? That was a big emphasis here. The world's gods are made. Which very simply, let's just, let's just say this. We need to say this from time to time, especially in our extremely materialistic culture. Be careful with stuff. Right? Be careful with possession. Here's why. Every culture's values are embedded in their prized commodities. Right? So every culture's values, how they answer all the big questions. What is this world? Who is in charge of it? Where are we going? What are people? What are people for? What is a good life? All of those things are necessarily embedded in the, the most valuable stuff of our culture because we value it because it reflects our values. So you talk about own, home ownership. What values does that champion? Cars, consumer electronic devices. What do all of these things Im- embody for us? And so the sale of these things to God's people is an invitation to worship these gods, to conform to these values. So you've got to be careful with Stuff. But the madeness of these gods, while it is in stark contrast with the true God, is not actually the main emphasis here of this section. It's that the gods are made, they're made from garbage. They're made from garbage. Three times he retells this scenario where half he burns, half he cooks hamburgers on, half is reduced to ashes and thrown out, and half of it he bows himself to. Like three times that little story, that vignette is told. We've been, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, trying to take advantage of some, some end-of-the-year phone upgrade deals. And so I've been in uh, Verizon stores more than I care to, care to have been. Now imagine you go into a Verizon store and uh, you say, hey, I'm here for the new, the latest and greatest phone. What is it? You know, the Apple 15 or whatever. And... and it's a little different. Instead of like the typical phones, they just have bunches of bananas hanging up in it. And so the guy's like, oh, great. You know, you're here for the new phone. Let's get you the new upgrade. It's so exciting. And he pulls off a banana. He's like, here's the new phone. Here's the new thing. The new thing that is going to accomplish everything that you want accomplished. So we're going to take it over to our our. Our, our phone specialists, they're going to some, draw some things, put some stickers on it, kind of de- decorate it for you. And here's what you do. You just hold it like this when you're with people, and whatever you say, they're going to listen to more carefully. 
And, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna value you more. And you're going to be able to move, if you've got the right stickers and the right design on here, you're going to be able to move into better circles of people. You're going to have greater access to opportunities. You, this is going to put you on the path to the good life. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I came in here. How much is this going to cost me? $1,000, no problem. It's the path to the good life. It's the path to being valued and feeling valuable and, and, and having friends and, and going somewhere important. And he says, you're absolutely right. We're so excited for you. This is going to change your life. And now what we're also doing because of how excited we are about this opportunity that you've got, we're going to throw in there a little snack for you. And so he goes back over to the bunch of bananas and he pulls off a banana and he says, in here. And then you, you just eat this and just throw it away over there when you're done. And you're like, that, that, that's so silly, right? That's ridiculous. That's what he's trying to depict here. This thing that you just, oh, so much meaning, so much significance, so much use. Now I can get done all the things I need to get done is wrapped up in this thing that is also on the compost heap. What happens to all of our favorite things? Remember, remember the favorite things you had last year? Remember the favorite things you had a decade ago? Where is it? I don't know. You know why? We shipped it across the seas to some other place because we don't want to be reminded of this. All of our gods are just pre-garbage. Today it's my God. Tomorrow it's my garbage. This is why he ends that section. He says, it's a lie in your right hand. You're holding your, your idol. Wow. And you set it down on the shelf and he says, it's just a lie. You're, you, you're using this for warmth, you're using it to cook your meat, you're using it to satisfy some existential need for identity and purpose and meaning? Mm -mm. That's, that's not good. That's not going to work. The world cannot redeem. The world cannot redeem. Why? I mean, for many reasons, but all these made gods who, that we make, who do they serve? They serve us. They, they serve uh, the me that we want to be. They serve our, our idea about our identity. And that, that's not redemption. That's not redemption. Like a positive self-image, uh, self-acceptance, fine. But it's not redemption. It's not redemption. It's not the beautiful thing that Scripture invites us into. And it's not really good for anybody else. It good, it's good for me. I like to feel self-acceptance. I like to feel positive self-regard, but it's not good for anybody else. And so for that, we need the Redeemer. And just as the, the result of what God wants to bring us into is that all of our emptiness, shame, and folly is turned into something joyful and celebratory and connecting between us and other people, so now the, the result of the world's ways is, as we saw repeated here, shame and emptiness and folly. And how many people have you seen disappear into the darkness because they won't put themselves complete and entire into God's hands. How many people disappear into depression and addictions who disappear into the darkness because we won't give ourselves to God? So God wants us to be redeemed. He wants us to go with Him. He doesn't want us to conform to the formed gods. That's folly. That's shame. He wants us to bring our entire selves to him. And, and how do we move from one to the other? How do we go from redemption to folly? How do we go from folly back to redemption? The, the mechanism is forgetting or remembering. 
The mechanism for forgetting or remembering. Look at uh, Isaiah 44, verse 8. Isaiah said, The Lord says through Isaiah, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You already know the things that you need to know. I already told you. And then look at verse 21. This is the, the primary admonition of our passage. Remember these things. Remember these things, O Jacob. Remember these things. You know, why was the, uh, the craftsman working so hard? Why was he taking that block of wood and turning it into a little statue of a man who can, who can like, sit on our mantelpiece and kind of fit in with our decor? He's doing all that work so that we forget what's happening. Right? If the world was just like, here's a log, you can buy it, it'll heat your house. Here's a log, it's your God. We would be like, no, they're the same. So they do all this work so that we don't see what's happening. So that we forget that today's God is going to be tomorrow's garbage. So the world is invested in us forgetting these things, but God wants us to remember. To remember who God is. Right? He's not the formed one. He is the one who forms. He's the only God, and what he wants, what he wants gets done. Look with me at verses uh, 24 to 26. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. He is the Redeemer. That is who God is. That is what God does. We need to remember who God is. We also need to remember who we are. We are God's formed servants. And what God makes, he wants to use. What does that mean for us? You've got good things in your life. You've got bad things in your life. You've got boring things in your life. You've got weird things in your life. All of it, God is going to redeem. He's going to use it to bring joy to you and to bring Hope to other people? You think about what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I am the foremost sinner, but I received mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, God might display his perfect patience so that other people might see me and think maybe there's hope for me. That's what your story is going to do as well. Do good to others and bring glory to God. Listen, what in your life you look at as broken is the tool God's looking for. The thing in your life that you think marks you out as broken is the thing that God is looking for to use to do good. So remember who God is and remember who you are. And remember what the world is doing. Now there's nothing wrong with designing things, producing things, uh, selling things. But it is wrong when those get attached to the big questions of life. Who am I? I'm I'm this brand wearing person. What am I here for? I'm 
I'm here for this. These are the things that matter most. As soon as the, the world and commerce and what we buy and sell tries to answer those questions, we need to remember, we need to expose for ourselves how silly and empty those claims are. So we need to remember. How do we remember? It's not actually answered in this passage. It doesn't really talk about how we remember. That's kind of what the rest of the Bible is about. How we remember. We remember through the worship, the regular assembling of God's people, remembering like Brian talked about at the beginning of this morning. We gather together to remember who God is and who we are and what the world's doing. The book of the Psalms is full of people, of the example of people who in really low and bad times remember God. And even when they're not really hopeful and optimistic, they're still remembering God. That's what the psalm is, is them in their sorrows, in their difficult, broken things, remembering God, and we are here benefiting from it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before he goes to the cross, he sets up this elaborate ritual with bread. What does the bread symbolize? His body broken. Did you get that? Jesus' brokenness. And the cup poured out. What is that symbol? It symbols his sorrows and pain. And he says, do this and remember. Remember. He gives us this beautiful illustration of how God takes the brokenness and the pouring out of sorrows and uses it to fill us and to heal us and to save us. This is who God is. This is who we are. And this is what God does and the world doesn't even come close to doing. So, remember who God is. Remember who you are, what the world is doing. Because we all want redemption. But redemption requires a redeemer. It requires the unformed former. It requires that we put our stories into God's service. You can serve the world's rules. You can try to become some things according to the world and the world's standards. But what do you end up being? You end up being nothing. But those who trust in the Lord God to form them, you know what they do? They become something. They become the servants of the God. They serve what is happening. What is really happening, which is what God is doing as He works all things together for good. You want to be a servant of the God? You think, well, do I have to be a servant? Who wants to be a servant? But everybody's a servant. Everybody is serving some God. Either it's that wobbly, pre-garbage God, the shark-eyed mouth that is trying to steal our light and give us darkness. Or we're serving the Lord our God, the Redeemer, who makes our darknesses light. And that's the beautiful thing that we long for and why we're here to see happen. Would you pray with me? And then we'll sing and Tony will close our service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Redeemer. That there is redemption in you. That we whose lives you have formed can come back to you And you can take our lives and and put us to work and make that beautiful, good thing that you're working on. And you invite us to be a part of that, Lord. 
which we want, but which we're also scared of. And we are so tempted, like Israel before us, we're so tempted to just try to live and and fit in and go along with the, the gods of this world, the values of this world, not stand out, not bring our brokenness, deny who we are. That's not what you want for us. And that's not what we want either. We want to be united. We want our hearts to be united within us. We want our eyes to be open. We want to be yours. We want to see you knit together our lives. We want to see the math work and see the beautiful good thing that you are doing. And we want to be a part of it, Lord. So would you work in our hearts? Would you stir up the remembrance of these truths? Help us to be disciplined in our worship, to be disciplined in our habits so we don't lose sight of these things. We ask all this, Lord, for our joy and for the good of our friends around us and for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.